Chapter Five of the Ivory Child by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, The Plot. The sequel to the events of this evening may be told very briefly, and of it the reader can form his own judgment. I narrate it as it happened. That night I did not sleep at all well. It may have been because of the excitement of the great shoot in which I found myself in competition with another man whom I disliked, and who had defrauded me in the past, to say nothing of its physical strain in cold and heavy weather. Or it may have been that my imagination was stirred by the arrival of that strange pair, Harut and Marut, apparently in search of myself, seven thousand miles away from any place where they can have known aught of an insignificant individual of a purely local repute. Or it may have been that the pictures which they showed me when under the influence of the fumes of their tobacco, or of their hypnotism, took an undue possession of my brain. Or lastly, the strange coincidence that the beautiful betrothed of my host should have related to me a tale of her childhood of which she declared she had never spoken before, and that within an hour the two principal actors in that tale should have appeared before my eyes and hers, for I may state that from the beginning I had no doubt that they were the same men, moved me and filled me with a quite natural foreboding, or all these things together may have tended to a concomitant effect. At any rate, the issue was that I could not sleep. For hour after hour I lay thinking, and in an irritated way listening for the chimes of the Ragnall stable-clock which once had adorned the tower of the church, and struck the quarters with a damnable reiteration. I concluded that Messrs. Harut and Marut were a couple of common Arab rogues, such as I had seen performing in the African ports. Then a quarter struck, and I concluded that the elephant's cemetery which I beheld in the smoke undoubtedly existed, and that I meant to collar those thousands of pounds worth of ivory before I died. Then after another quarter I concluded that there was no elephant's cemetery, although, by the way, my old friend Dogita or Brother John had mentioned such a thing to me, but that probably there was a tribe, as he had also mentioned, called the Kenda, who worshipped a baby, or rather its effigy. Well, now, as had already occurred to me, the old Egyptians— of whom I was always fond of reading when I got a chance, also worshipped a child, Horace the Saviour, and that child had a mother called Isis, symbolized in the crescent moon, the great nature goddess, the mistress of mysteries, to whose cult ten thousand priests were sworn. Do not Herodotus and others, especially Apuleius, tell us all about her? And by a queer coincidence Miss Holmes had the mark of a crescent moon upon her breast, and when she was a child, those two men, or others very like them, had pointed out that mark to each other, and I had seen them staring hard at it that night. And in her vapour-invoked dream the heavenly child, alias Horus, or the double of Horus, the Ka, I think the Egyptians called it, had awakened at the sight of her, and kissed her, and given her the necklace of the goddess, and all the rest. What did it mean? I went to sleep at last, wondering what on earth it could mean, till presently that confounded clock woke me up again, and I must go through the whole business once more. By degrees, this was towards dawn, I became aware that all hope of rest had vanished from me utterly, that I was most painfully awake, 
and what is more oppressed by a curious fear to the effect that something was going to happen to miss holmes so vivid did this fear become that at length i arose lit a candle and dressed myself as it happened i knew where miss holmes slept her room which i had seen her enter was on the same corridor as mine though at the other end of it near the head of a stair that ran i knew not whither in my portmanteau that had been sent over from miss manners house amongst other things was a small double-barrelled pistol from which long habit i always carried with me loaded except for the caps that were in a little leather case with some spare ammunition attached to the pistol belt i took it out capped it and thrust it into my pocket then i slipped from the room and stood behind a tall clock in the corridor watching miss holmes door and reflecting what a fool i should look if anyone chanced to find me half an hour or so later by the light of the setting moon which struggled through a window i saw the door open and miss holmes emerge in a kind of dressing-gown and still wearing the necklace which harut and marut had given her of this i was sure for the light gleamed upon the red stones also it shone upon her face and showed me without doubt that she was walking in her sleep gliding as silently as a ghost she crossed the corridor and vanished i followed and saw that she had descended an ancient twisting stairway which i had noted in the castle wall i went after her my stockinged feet making no noise feeling my way carefully in the darkness of the stair for i did not dare to strike a match beneath me i heard a noise as of someone fumbling with bolts then a door creaked on its hinges and there was some light when i reached the doorway i caught sight of the figure of miss holmes flitting across a hollow garden that was laid out at the bottom of the castle moat which had been drained the garden as i had observed when we walked through it on the previous day on our way to the first covert that we shot was bordered by a shrubbery through which ran paths that led to the back drive of the castle across the garden glided the figure of miss holmes and after it went i crouching and taking cover behind every bush as though i were stalking big game which indeed i was she entered the shrubbery moving much more swiftly now for as she went she seemed to gather speed like a stone which is rolled down a hill it was as though whatever might be attracting her for i felt sure that she was being drawn by something acted more strongly upon her sleeping will as she drew nearer to it for a while i lost sight of her in the shadow of the tall trees then suddenly i saw her again standing quite still in an opening caused by the blowing down in the gale of one of the avenue of elms that bordered the back drive but now she was no longer alone for advancing towards her were two cloaked figures in whom i recognized harut and marut there she stood with outstretched arms and towards her stealthily as lions stalking a buck came harut and marut moreover between the naked boughs of the fallen elm i caught sight of what looked like the outline of a closed carriage standing upon the drive also i heard a horse stamp upon the frosty ground round the edge of the little glade i ran keeping in the dark shadow as i went cocking the pistol that was in my pocket then suddenly i darted out and stood between harut and marut and miss holmes not a word passed between us i think that all three of us subconsciously were anxious not to awake the sleeping woman knowing that if we did so there would be a terrible scene only after motioning to me to stand aside of course in vain harut and marut drew from their robes curved and cruel-looking knives and bowed for even now their politeness did not forsake them 
I bowed back, and when I straightened myself, those enterprising Easterns found that I was covering the heart of Harut with my pistol. Then, with that perception which is part of the mental outfit of the great, they saw that the game was up, since I could have shot them both before a knife touched me. "'You have won this time, O Watcher by Night,' whispered Harut softly, "'but another time you will lose. That beautiful lady belongs to us.' and the people of the white kenda for she is marked with the holy mark of the young moon the call of the child of heaven is heard in her heart and will bring her home to the child as it has brought her to us to-night now lead her hence still sleeping o brave and clever one so well named watcher by night then they were gone and presently i heard the sound of horses being driven rapidly along the drive for a moment i hesitated as to whether i would or would not run in and shoot those horses two considerations stayed me the first was that if i did so my pistol would be empty or even if i shot one horse and retrained the barrel loaded with it i could only kill a single man leaving myself defenceless against the knife of the other the second consideration was that now, as before, I did not wish to wake up Miss Holmes. I crept to her, and, not knowing what else to do, took hold of one of her outstretched hands. She turned and came with me at once as though she knew me, remaining all the while fast asleep. Thus we went back to the house, through the still open door, up the stairway straight to her own room, on the threshold of which I loosed her hand. The room was dark, and I could see nothing, but I listened until I heard a sound as of a person throwing herself upon the bed and drawing up the blankets. Then, knowing that she was safe for a while, I shut the door, which opened outwards, as doors of ancient make sometimes do, and set against it a little table that stood in the passageway. Next, after reflecting for a minute, the circumstances being awkward in many ways, I went to my room and lit a candle. Obviously it was my duty to inform Lord Ragnall of what had happened, and that as soon as possible, but I had no idea in what part of that huge building his sleeping-place might be, nor, for patent reasons, was it desirable that I should disturb the house and so create talk. In this dilemma I remembered that Lord Ragnall's confidential servant, Mr. Savage, when he conducted me to my room on the previous night— which he made a point of doing, perhaps, because he wished to talk over the matter of the snakes that had found their way into his pockets, had shown me a bell in it which he said rang outside his door. He called it an emergency bell. I remarked, idly, that it was improbable that I should have any occasion for its use. "'Who knows, sir?' said Mr. Savage, prophetically. "'There are folks who say that this old castle is haunted.' which after what I have seen to-night I can well believe. If you should chance to meet a ghost looking, let us say, like those black villains, Harem and Scarum, or whatever they call themselves, well, sir, two's better company than one. I considered that bell, but was loath to ring it for the reasons I have given. Then I went outside the room and looked. As I had hoped might be the case, there ran the wire on the face of the wall, connected along its length by other wires, with the various rooms it passed. 
I set to work and followed that wire. It was not an easy job. Indeed, once or twice it reminded me of that story of the old Greek hero who found his way through a labyrinth by means of a silken thread. I forget whether it were a bull or a lady he was looking for, but with care and perseverance he found one or the other, or it may have been both. Down staircases and various passages I went with my eye glued upon the wire, which occasionally got mixed up with other wires, till at length it led me through a swing-door covered with red bays into what appeared to be a modern annex to the castle. Here at last it terminated on the spring of an alarming-looking and deep-throated bell, which hung immediately over a certain door. On this door I knocked, hoping that it might be that of Mr. Savage, and praying earnestly that it did not enclose the chaste resting-place of the cook or any other female. Too late, I mean, after I had knocked, it occurred to me that, if so, my position would be painful to a degree. However, in this particular, fortune stood my friend, which does not always happen to the virtuous, for presently I heard a voice which I recognized as that of Mr. Savage, asking, not without a certain quaver in its tone, "'Who the devil is that?' "'Me,' I replied, being flustered. "'Me won't do,' said the voice. "'Me might be harem, or it might be scarum, or it might be someone worse. Who's me?' "'Alan Quatermain, you idiot!' I whispered through the keyhole. "'Anna who? Well, never mind. Go away, Hannah.' I'll talk to you in the morning. Then I kicked the door, and at length, very cautiously, Mr. Savage opened it. Good heaven, sir, he said, what are you doing here, sir? Dressed, too, at this hour, and with the handle of a pistol sticking out of your pocket. Or is it the head of a stake? And he jumped back, a strange and stately figure in a long white nightshirt, which apparently he wore over his underclothing. I entered the room and shut the door, whereon he politely handed me a chair, remarking, "'Is it ghosts, sir, or are you ill? Or is it harem and scarum, of whom I have been thinking all night? Very cold, too, sir, being afraid to pull up the bedclothes for fear lest there might be more reptiles in them.' He pointed to his dress-coat hanging on the back of another chair, with both pockets turned inside out, adding tragically, "'To think, sir,' that this new coat has been a nest of snakes, which I have aided like poison from a child, and me almost a teetotaler. Yes, I said impatiently, it's harem and scarum, as you call them. Take me to Lord Ragnall's bedroom at once. Ah, sir, burgling, I suppose, or mayhap worse, he exclaimed, as he threw on some miscellaneous garments, and seized a life-preserver which hung upon a hook. Now I'm ready— only I hope they have left their snakes behind. I could never bear the sight of a snake, and they seem to know it, the brutes. In due course we reached Lord Ragnall's room, which Mr. Savage entered, and in answer to a stifled inquiry exclaimed, Mr. Allan Quatermain, to see you, my lord. What is it, Quatermain? he asked, sitting up in bed and yawning. Have you had a nightmare? Yes, I answered and Savage, having left us and shut the door, I told him everything as it is written down. "'Great heavens!' he exclaimed when I had finished. "'If it had not been for you and your intuition and courage—' "'Never mind me,' I interrupted. "'The question is, what should be done now? Are you going to try to arrest these men, or will you hold your tongue and merely cause them to be watched?' "'Really, I don't know. Even if we catch them, the whole story would sound so strange in a law court.' and all sorts of things might be suggested. Yes, Lord Ragnall, 
it would sound so strange that i beg you will come at once to see the evidences of what i tell you before rain or snow obliterates them bringing another witness with you lady longden perhaps lady longden one might as well write to the times i have it they're savage he is faithful and can be silent so savage was called in and while lord ragnall dressed himself hurriedly told the outline of his story under pain of instant dismissal if he breathed a word really to watch his face was as good as a play so astonished was he that all he could ejaculate was the black-hearted villains well they ain't friendly with snakes for nothing then having made sure that miss holmes was still in her room we went down the twisting stair and through the side doorway locking the door after us by now the dawn was breaking and there was enough light to enable me in certain places where the snow that fell after the gale remained to show lord ragnall and savage the impress of the little bedroom slippers which miss holmes wore and of my stockinged feet following after in the plantation things were still easier for every detail of the movements of the four of us could be traced moreover on the back drive was the spoor of the horses and the marks of the wheels of the carriage that had been brought for the purposes of the abduction also my great good fortune for this seemed to prove my theory we found a parcel wrapped in native linen that appeared to have fallen out of the carriage when harut and marut made their hurried escape as one of the wheels had gone over it it contained an eastern woman's dress and veil intended i suppose to be used in disguising miss holmes who thenceforward would have appeared to be the wife or daughter of one of the abductors savage discovered this parcel which he lifted only to drop it with a yell for underneath it lay a torpid snake doubtless one of those that had been used in the performance of these discoveries and many other details on our return to the house lord ragnall made full notes in a pocket-book that when completed were signed by all three of us there is not much more to tell that is of this part of the story the matter was put into the hands of detectives who discovered that the easterns had driven to london where all traces of the carriage which conveyed them was lost they however embarked upon a steamer called the antelope together with two native women who probably had been provided to look after miss holmes and sailed that very afternoon for egypt thither of course it was useless to follow them in those days even if it had been advisable to do so to return to miss holmes she came down to breakfast looking very charming but rather pale again i sat next to her and took some opportunity to ask her how she had rested that night she replied very well and yet very ill since although she never remembered sleeping more soundly in her life she had experienced all sorts of queer dreams of which she could remember nothing at all a circumstance that annoyed her much as she was sure that they were most interesting then she added do you know mr quatermain i found a lot of mud on my dressing-gown this morning and my bedroom slippers were also a mass of mud and wet through how do you account for that it is just as though i had been walking about outside in my sleep which is absurd as i never did such a thing in my life not feeling equal to the invention of any convincing explanation of these phenomena i upset the marmalade pot onto the table in such a way that some of it fell upon her dress and then covered my retreat with profuse apologies understanding my dilemma for he had heard something of this talk lord ragnall came to my aid with a startling statement of which i forget the purport and thus the crisis passed shortly after breakfast scroope announced to miss manners that her carriage was waiting and we departed 
Before I went, as it chanced, I had a few private words with my host, with Miss Holmes, and with the magnificent Mr. Savage. To the last, by the way, I offered a tip which he refused, saying that after all we had gone through together he would not allow money to come between us, by which he meant to pass from my pocket to his. Lord Ragnall asked me for both my English and my African addresses, which he noted in his pocket-book. Then he said, "'Really, Quatermain, I feel as though I had known you for years instead of three days. If you will allow me, I will add that I should like to know a great deal more of you. He was destined to do so, poor fellow, though neither of us knew it at the time. If ever you come to England again, I hope you will make this house your headquarters. And if ever you come to South Africa, Lord Ragnall, I hope you will make my four-roomed shanty on the Berea at Durban your headquarters. You will get a hearty welcome there, and something to eat, but little more. There is nothing I should like better, Quatermain. Circumstances have put me in a certain position in this country. Still, to tell you the truth, there is a great deal about the life of which I grow very tired. But you see, I am going to be married, and that I fear means an end of travelling, since naturally my wife will wish to take her place in society, and the rest. Of course, I replied, for it is not every young lady who has the luck to become an English peeress with all the etceteras, is it? Still, I am not so sure but that Miss Holmes will take to travelling some day, although I am sure that she would do better to stay at home. He looked at me curiously, then asked, "'You don't think there is anything really serious in all this business, do you?' "'I don't know what to think,' I answered, "'except that you will do well to keep a good eye upon your wife. "'What those Easterns tried to do last night, and, I think, years ago, "'they may try again soon, or years hence, "'for evidently they are patient and determined men with much to win. "'Also it is a curious coincidence that she should have that mark upon her, which appeals so strongly to Messrs. Harut and Marut, and to be brief, she is in some ways different from most young women. As she said to me herself last night, Lord Ragnall, we are surrounded by mysteries, mysteries of blood, of inherited spirit, of this world generally in which it is probable that we are all descended from quite a few common ancestors, and beyond these are other mysteries of the measureless universe to which we belong that may already be exercising their strong and secret influences upon us, as perhaps, did we know it, they have done for millions of years in the infinite whence we came, and whither we go. I suppose I spoke somewhat solemnly, for he said, Do you know you frighten me a little, though I don't quite understand what you mean? Then we parted. With Miss Holmes my conversation was shorter. She remarked, It has been a great pleasure to me to meet you. I do not remember anybody with whom I have found myself in so much sympathy, except one, of course. It is strange to think that when we meet again I shall be a married woman. I do not suppose we shall ever meet again, Miss Holmes. Your life is here. Mine is in the wildest places of a wild land far away. Oh, yes, we shall, she answered. I learned this and lots of other things when I held my head in that smoke last night. Then we also parted. Lastly, Mr. Savage arrived with my coat. "'Good-bye, Mr. Quatermain,' he said. "'If I forget everything else, I shall never forget you and those villains, Harem and Scarum and their snakes. I hope it won't be my lot ever to clap eyes on them again, Mr. Quatermain. Yet somehow I don't feel so sure of that.' 
"'Nor do I,' I replied with a kind of inspiration, after which followed the episode of the rejected tip. End of chapter 5